0: Welcome to Grace New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. Today, Patrick is teaching on taming your tongue. Please turn your Bibles to James 3 as we continue on in our series, Family. Let's listen now. Yeah, okay, we well, guys welcome Patrick. All right, we're so glad he's with us today. Thank you, if you could turn to James chapter three, James chapter three, that's where we're gonna be um, this morning, Uh, but it's nice to be up here, as Randy said, it's my first time preaching since uh, my son was born 10 weeks ago today, um, and the first time since my stepmother passed uh, in October, so we've had a lot, that was 14 weeks ago today, and so there's been a lot of stress in the family, um, some negative stress, some positive stress, uh, but it's, this is my favorite thing to do, is to talk about the Word of God, whether it's to 150 people or if it's to um, Alex Cazorla, who's 11 years old and asked me a Bible question. Um, talking about the Bible is one of my favorite things. So I am glad to be up here. Uh, if you need Bibles, we have some ushers. They've probably already passed them out, uh, but just put your hand up. And if you don't have one, just look on with your neighbor. Um, James chapter 3 Verses 8 through 10 is kind of what I want to start us with, so if we could stand and read God's word together. James chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. May God bless the reading of his word. You guys can be seated. So this letter to James, or this letter from James to the dispersion is a great marker of Christian maturity. We kind of see each chapter is laid out with things on how we can gauge ourselves in our Christian walk, on how are we living up to the standard that God is laying out. We can gauge our Christian walk, we can gauge our Christian maturity, we can gauge our growth in Christ, which is the goal of Christianity is to grow in Christ. And so here in James three, we see that a mature Christian will be able to control their speech. Now words matter. We can all agree that words matter. Does anybody disagree that words matter? Yeah, good, good. Words matter and the truth matters. This is uh, definitely being brought into question. Brian's in our apologetics class. The truth is being brought into question in modern society. There is only one truth and his name is Jesus Christ and he said he is the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through him. So the truth question, truth is knowable, it's a person and the truth can be attained. We can know God, we can know Jesus Christ but words matter, the truth matters. There's a, uh, we probably all have funny stories about miscommunications in our lives, husbands and wives. It probably didn't seem funny at the time but we can look back on it and say, Yeah, that was kind of funny, or that was really dumb. Why did we have that miscommunication? Well, earlier this week, um, on Thursday, uh, Spring was in her office, and Kathy Staley was down at her office. They're kind of near each other. And uh, you guys know our our Spanish pastor, David Cazorla. Uh, He's in there preaching right now. And his wife, Melissa, who is our kids' admin, their kids are homeschooled, so they're at church all the time with us. And Alex is uh, 11, and Eliana is 11. Nine years old. Alex told me she was nine, so I really hope she's nine because this is being recorded. But um, so the the kids were here and uh, Kathy Staley down the hallway, Spring hears her say, happy birthday, Alex. And Spring is is thinking, oh man, we, we got cupcakes and we sang to Eliana when it was her birthday. We need to get cupcakes and sing to Eliana or we need to sing to Alex because it's his birthday now. So she calls Sheba, who was working from home that day, and she says, Sheba, are you coming in? We need cupcakes. She said, no, I'm not coming in, I'm working from home. And so Spring's like, dang, what are we gonna do? Like, I can't leave, I'm working, I can't go get cupcakes. So she calls Mary Catherine, who works in kids. She Says, Mary Catherine, can you pick up cupcakes on your way in? And she said, sure, what's, what's it for? She said, it's Alex's birthday, I just heard Kathy say that. And so Mary Catherine's like, well, how old is he? I, I need to know what kind of candle to get, because we have to know how old he is. And at that moment, Eliana comes into Spring's office to get a snack, that's where all the snacks are, for staff, is in Spring's office. And um, she says, Eliana, how old's your brother? She said, 11. Um, and she was like, okay, great, is he turning 11 or is he turning 12? She goes, what are you, what are you talking about? He turned 11 in October. And she, Spring was like, but I just heard Kathy say, happy birthday, Alex. If you guys know Kathy, she says, happy whatever day it is. So she said, happy Thursday, Alex. But they still got the cupcakes. And Sheba informed me that they sang happy Thursday, Alex. Happy Thursday to you, Alex. But words matter and the truth matters, right? And we're gonna see that today as James talks about taming our tongue. In James 3, we're gonna come to see that the tongue is the most insubordinate part of the body. And the thing about the tongue is it exposes us for who we truly are. James 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Those who teach must use their tongues to preach the word of God. Now, some people in these congregations, we can gather from the context of the letter, uh, some of these uh, Jews who had just become Christians thought that they knew the Old Testament really well. And so now they want that prestigious title of Bible teacher. But they were neglecting the tremendous responsibility and tremendous accountability that comes with preaching the word of God. And James says it, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Listen to, Matthew, listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Teachers will be judged with greater strictness. Jesus and Paul both told us that false teachers would arise in the world. And it's safe to say just on sheer numbers, there are billions of people in the world today that at this point in history, on the face of the earth are the most false prophets and false teachers than at any other time. That's just a pure numbers game. But listen to Paul's message to young Pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. It was inevitable that these false teachers would arise. Jesus said it, Paul said it. But what's interesting is how they arise. False teachers prosper because Christians keep paying them. False teachers prosper because Christians keep giving them money. One pastor I listened to says that a congregation that sits under false preaching is actually under the judgment of God because they're receiving what they want. They're getting the message that they want. And God is giving them over to their delusions. It's easy to fill pews when you tell people what they wanna hear. The world wants to be told they're perfect and there's nothing wrong with them. The world wants praise and adoration for sinful living. The world wants to be told there's good enough and nothing in your life needs to change. It's easy to sell books when you write these things. What's hard, but what's necessary is telling sinful people that they're sinful and they stand condemned by God outside of Christ Jesus. And they need a righteousness outside of themselves to be made right with a holy God. And they can't earn that righteousness themselves. That's hard message, but it's necessary. Why? Because that's the message of God. It's hard to fill pews when you say things like that. And obviously not you, the pews are full today. Because you know the truth but it's hard to sell books that when you write those things. But we don't want worldly acclaim. I wanna hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Right. Teachers of God's word will be held accountable for how they taught it. And James tells us not many should become teachers. There's a tremendous responsibility that a teacher's words carry. When you teach the Bible, you're having an influence over the people that you're teaching. And if you're wrong, you could lead people astray and you will be held accountable by God. That's why James says it, you need to take this seriously. Not many of us should become teachers. Now I'm not saying that, that I'm special or Sheba's special or Randy's special, um, but there is a seriousness and a responsibility and accountability that comes with James gives us illustrations on how controlling something small actually controls something larger. He says, if someone can control their tongue, they can control their whole body as well. If you control a horse's mouth with a bit, like this, I had to clarify with Randy that that was a bit because I know nothing about horses. He said that's a bit. If you control a horse's mouth with a bit, you actually control the horse's whole body. And you can also control the direction of a ship by a very small rudder. Now, if Randy were teaching, he might actually bring out a wild horse and break it in front of y'all to impress you. He did that for Anita, didn't he? When, first when they first got married, he was trying to impress her. But yeah, if, but that's not my skill set, right? I'm here just to talk about these things. But James says that we, we stumble in many ways. And if we're able to control what we say, it's a sign that we're on the right path. For if a man can control his tongue, that is evidence that he can control his body. None of us will attain perfection, James says. But holiness, whether it's in action or speech, holiness is the goal of Christianity. I read in a book one time that um, so many young Christians in America think the goal of Christianity is to get married. Everybody wants to find a spouse. The goal of Christianity is holiness, to be conformed to the image of Christ and that is what the Holy Spirit does within us. But it is a sign of spiritual maturity, it is a sign of being on the right path for one who can control his tongue. The Geneva Bible Commentary says, he who has learned to moderate his tongue has attained a great virtue. Now James gives a few illustrations as to kind of describe what he's talking about. If you control a horse's mouth, you control his whole body. Huge ships are controlled in their direction by tiny rudders. But Warren Wiersbe points out that both the bit in the horse's mouth and the rudder on a ship have to overcome contrary forces. The bit has to overcome the strength of the horse and the rudder has to overcome the wind and the waves. The same is true for the tongue. The tongue has to overcome a contrary force. And that contrary force is our old sinful nature. Our old sinful nature constantly rears its ugly head, not only in our actions, not only in our thoughts, but in the way that we speak. The spirit is at war with our old nature. And so the tongue, like the bitten horse's mouth and the rudder of a ship, the tongue has to overcome a contrary force. Being able to control our tongue is a sign of spiritual maturity. And by the grace of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit, we who are growing in spiritual maturity are learning to overcome our old selves. It should be progressive. It's not gonna be perfect, but it's going to be progressive. You should be able to look 10 years back and say, wow, what was I saying back then? And look at the the pureness of my words now. There should be a progression in our spiritual maturity and our speech is reflective of that growth. And James, uh, let's look at verse five here. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. The tongue, while being so small a part of our body, boasts of such great things. Now we can see this in two ways. There's a positive aspect to this. It's the tongue that we use to build people up. It's the tongue that we use to encourage. It's the tongue that we use to exhort. It's the tongue that we use to correct. And these are all great things. And we need to be practicing these things. But negatively, it's the tongue that embellishes. It's the tongue that brags. It's the tongue that lies. It's the tongue that scratches itching ears. It's the tongue that gossips. Negatively, James is comparing the tongue to a small spark that so often leads to a forest fire. How often have we heard of these raging forest fires in like California being, start, being started by a spark from a campfire, right? It starts out small and then it destroys. Last year, I think there was a wildfire started by a gender reveal firework. So even in our celebrations of good things, we're still starting fires. But the illustration that James uses for the tongue being a small fire is used to describe these negative boasts of the tongue and the forest fire is a result. So often a small word spoken negatively to someone ends up destroying their life. Now, two notes on this. Because the immediate context is not everyone should become teachers. Our primary context uh, for the tongue is false teaching. But there's a larger context in fulfilling the law of Christ in loving each other. So we have to look at both. We have to look at how the tongue can start fires in our teaching and how the tongue can start fires in our interactions with each other. False teaching can destroy churches and can destroy congregations. And I don't mean by clearing out the church, I mean literally destroying souls. Lies about God and his character can lead people to believe wrongly about God. It is vital that we know the God we love if we don't know the God we say we believe in, but we're still worshiping a God, we're now engaging in idol worship. We are engaging in worship of a God that we've created in our own image, a God that, that says the things that we wanna hear. Jesus told his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, just as a little bit of yeast makes the whole loaf rise, a little bit of heresy destroys churches. We must be on guard for heresy and false teaching. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you read. My, we have some readers in my family, speaking of reading. My dad is in the back there. And he told me he read 48 books last year with 23 or 26,000 pages that my dad read last year. He's a history guy, loves to read. I didn't enjoy reading until I was 30, but I enjoy it now. And I really want my son to be a reader, too. I want him to start early. I want him to read. And I have a very particular lane that I stay in with the books that I like to read. It's, it's usually theology books. Sheba knows all about that. <laughs> yeah, and Randy knows, too. But um, how do we get our kids to read? We start reading to them, right? So I was reading this book to my son this week. It's called Moo Ba La La La. <laughs> very theological, Very deep. And as we started reading, I almost had to throw it away, and I'll tell you why. Page one. A cow says moo. That's true. Okay. (laughs) You know, David Cazorla grew up in Spain, and he says the animals all make different noises in Spain. (laughs) And it's the weirdest thing. Page two. A sheep says bah. That is also true. Page three. Three singing pigs say, la, la, la. (laughs) That's a lie. (laughs) I almost had to throw the book in the garbage. But it didn't stop there, right? It says, no, no, you say, that isn't right. The pigs say, oink, all day and night. Okay, it corrected itself. False teaching has now been corrected. That is good. It's not going to lie to my son about the reality of nature, But two of these things in those first three pages are true. A cow says moo, and a sheep says bah. But that third thing was false. But just because it says two true things and one false thing doesn't mean I should keep this on my bookshelf. It it eventually corrects itself, so I can keep it there. (laughs) But the same can be said of preachers who preach some truth and some lies. If a pastor said nine true things about God and his character but presents a false gospel. Throw it away in the garbage. Paul said, if anyone, if I or an angel from heaven preaches a different gospel than the one I presented you with, let him be anathema, cursed, damned to hell. That is what anathema means. And Paul says, if anyone preaches a different gospel, that is what they are. Anyone preaches a different gospel, he is a false teacher. Don't care how many true things that he says. Watch what preachers say and compare it to the Bible. False teaching and lies distract us from the truth and they destroy our walk with Christ. So that's the first application. A spark can lead to a fire. A false teaching can destroy people. Second application We can apply the spark and the fire to any of the words we say as we're looking to fulfill the law of Christ. How often has one kid's name calling spread like wildfire to the rest of the class, and before you know it, the entire class is heckling mercilessly this one child? All because one kid said one thing. How often has one small lie turned into a bigger lie and a bigger lie and a bigger lie before eventually that person is broken. How often have small, somewhat innocuous things been said about a person that they end up carrying with them for the rest of their lives? Proverbs 26, verse 20. For lack of food, or for lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Some people look for it. Some people look for it. James tells us that our words have an effect on our lives and the lives of the people around us and what we teach and how we speak to them. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness. It reveals our inner thoughts. How often have we used our tongues to destroy someone as opposed to building them up? or to curse rather than to bless. James says the tongue stains our whole bodies. Imagine a beautiful woman or a handsome man, please don't lust here, but a beautiful woman and a handsome man uh, walk up to you and they open their mouth and profanities just start spilling out. They're no longer beautiful or handsome. The tongue has the ability to stain the entire body. Our speech reveals who we truly are. And the tongue, James says, is set on fire by hell. Evil speech destroys because it comes from Satan himself. Look with me to verse seven. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Animals can be tamed. Hannah and I took Sammy to the uh, zoo Last Saturday, it was like 30 degrees. Um, We saw one lion, one zebra, but we spent most of our time in the reptile habitat because they have to be warm, you know, so it was always great. Where's the next reptile habitat? So we just, you know, leapfrogged from one to the other, but it was still cool. You know, we got to see animals. But every animal can be tamed, James tells us. Animals of every kind, lions, tigers, bears. I almost got it. I got it first hour. I almost got it. But James says that no human, while all these animals that we're actually fearful of, we're fearful of lions, we're fearful of tigers unless they're tamed, we're fearful of sharks. All of these animals that we're fearful of, we've actually tamed, but we can't tame the tongue. Why don't we fear the tongue like we fear animals? When it's actually, James says, it's full of deadly poison. James says no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. So if no human being can tame the tongue, then who can? God can tame our tongues. And that's the point of this, is that you can't do it by your own power. You can't just will hard enough to speak more life-giving words when the giver of life himself will change your speech. Only God can restrain the evil that pours forth from our hearts. Only the Holy Spirit can tame the restless evil of our tongues. Only Jesus has the antidote to the deadly poison that pours forth from sinners' hearts. And James goes on in verse nine. With it, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Desiring God, which is John Piper's ministry, um, they put out a, a five-minute silent video where you can still see the actions going on. And it's about James 3. And the video starts with a husband and wife waking up. The husband actually gets up before the wife. It goes to the bathroom to brush his teeth. And there's no sound, but you can see what people are saying by their body language. Husband goes to brush his teeth, he comes back out of the bathroom, and he stubs his toe on his wife's laundry basket because it's (laughs) in—Deb thinks that's (laughs) funny—because the laundry basket was left in the middle of the floor. Well, the husband's pretty mad, and so the husband yells at the wife, how could you possibly leave your laundry basket in the floor? Now I've hurt myself. Well, now the wife is upset because the husband yelled at the wife. And the husband goes to, they have a 12-year-old daughter and a six-year-old daughter. The husband goes to get the daughters up because the family has somewhere to be that day. He kind of pushes the 12-year-old out of her bed because he's angry because he stubbed his toe. And now the 12-year-old's mad because the dad's mad at her for no reason whatsoever. The wife is also mad because the husband yelled at her, but the wife goes downstairs to make the 12-year-old a bowl of cereal. The 12-year-old is mad because the husband is mad. Everybody's yelling at each other. She ends up dumping over her bowl of cereal. She doesn't want it. Well, now there's milk on the table. Now there's milk on the floor. So the wife has to clean up the milk. The husband yells at the wife because how could you let your daughter spill the cereal on the table and on the floor? So now the, the husband is again yelling at the wife. They all have to get out the door because they have somewhere to be. The 12-year-old daughter is lagging behind. The rest of the family's already in the car. They're yelling profanities out of the car. You need to hurry up. How could you possibly be late to this? We have somewhere important to be. And the daughter, you can tell she's fed up with it. She's done. She doesn't wanna hear this anymore. She's tired of getting yelled at. And then as they're in the car, the husband has to stop short at a stop sign and the wife smears her lipstick on her face. So now she's, so now she's yelling at the husband, how could you stop short like that? He's yelling back, what did you want me to do? It's the law. They get to their destination, and they walk into church, (laughs) and everybody's smiling, and everybody's happy. Hey, how you doing? I'm great, how are you? Everything's great, how's your family? Everyone's doing great. (laughs) And then the next scene, the father has his hand raised in worship, singing the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And the 12-year-old daughter is standing there like this, because how could he possibly be singing the praises of God when he's just been cursing his family? How often have any of us been here before? And I'm not saying that getting ready for church won't be stressful with kids, right? Jazz, you got too. Uh, Sammy, like it takes 30 minutes longer to do things with Sammy if we ever wanna go anywhere because we have to get him dressed, make sure he's fed, we gotta make sure the car's ready. Like I get that, it's gonna be difficult but that doesn't mean that we get to lash out in our stress. How many times have we cursed people on the road or gossiped about our coworkers or yelled at our spouse or yelled at our children only to show up to church acting as if everything's fine? This should be the most vulnerable place of your entire week. Uh, Cliff Hagen, every time he asks me how I'm doing, I say I'm good. He grabs my arm and he says no. How are you? He's searching for that real answer. Ephesians 6, 4, Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We can discipline our children without yelling. Ephesians 5, 33, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Ephesians 6, 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. All of these things have to do with our speech. I was talking to Heidler this week about this teaching and he, he said something that I'm gonna share with you. We are stewards of the words we say. We are stewards of the blessings that God has given us. But we're stewards of the words we say, whether you're a husband, a wife, a daughter, a girlfriend, we are stewards of the words that we say. And we all have a standard to live by. And this standard is the standard of Christ Jesus. While that standard is perfect and we'll never attain that in this life, that is still the standard. But we need to set up standards and boundaries in our homes. And a lot of us do this, right? You don't let your kid touch the hot stove. Like that's a boundary, that's a standard, that's easy. But if we set up standards, we need to live by them. We don't wanna be like the father in that video that his daughter could clearly see his hypocrisy. But if we set up standards, we need to live by them. I was an alcoholic. We have a standard in my house that I will never drink. Standard. And we're all gonna live by it. My wife's gonna hold me accountable. My son will know why I don't drink. But there's three reasons. One is drunkenness is a sin. I was living in sin. Two, I never wanna go back to that place. Three, I don't want to explain to my son why daddy was drunk. That's a standard, that is a standard to live by. We also have a standard of speech. And I think parents in here, you guys would wanna set up a standard for your children or you probably already have. We have one in my home. So Sammy, this is Sammy here, It's my boy. I just love this guy, he's great. I've been told it's my baby picture as well. Oh, he's back there. Sammy's in the (laughs) back. Sammy! (laughs) That's so great. Well, Sammy's 10 weeks old uh, today, and sometimes he gets fussy, right? He's hungry, or he needs a diaper change, or he's tired. He gets fussy. And we joke around in the house, and I'll say, Samuel, don't talk back to your mother like that, right? Um, And it's funny, and we laugh but that's a standard that we have in our home. Don't talk back to your mother. Will Samuel ever see me talk back to his mother? That's a standard we have in our home, right? Will I prove myself to be a hypocrite? Will Sammy see my actions and judge my faith as dead because I won't live up to the standard of Christ? What kind of example am I setting for him? It starts with the words I say to her, to Hannah, and it ends with my actions toward her. Paul says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, laid his life down. Am I doing that? Is Sammy gonna know what a good husband looks like by watching me? Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James here rhetorically asks if two opposing things can come from the same place, and the implicit answer is no. A fresh water spring, something that is refreshing, something that is life-giving, cannot produce salt water. If it did, it would no longer be a fresh water spring. The whole thing would be contaminated. Proverbs 18:4, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Proverbs 10:11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. A fig tree cannot bring forth olives. A grapevine cannot bring forth figs. If our mouths are saying blessings and cursings, the only true fruit of your mouth is the curse. The genuine believer will not contradict their profession of faith by continually, continually using unwholesome and ungodly speech. The tongue that produces speech that is godly and wholesome is as refreshing as fresh water and as nourishing as good fruit from a good tree. But the tongue that produces speech that is evil and unwholesome is as destructive as salt water and rotten fruit to the human body. But there is a solution to this problem. Our mouths get us into a lot of trouble. But there's a solution to this and we're gonna close with these thoughts. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Our speech betrays us. The words we use and the phrases we say expose us for who we truly are, but we can try to mask it for a time, but the truth will come out. Worldly people love to shout about all the good things that they've done for other people. But Jesus warned his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount not to be like the hypocrites. Matthew 6, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. If it is worldly acclaim that you seek, you will get it. But that is your only reward. You can tell tall tales and spin stories and receive acclamation from the world, but it all means nothing. For that will be your reward and you'll receive nothing from your Father. We can show our good conduct. We can show our wise conduct by being humble in our speech. Wisdom is right knowledge rightly applied. If we have this right knowledge of the good things that we've done, but we're bragging about those things, we're not rightly applying our right knowledge. We need to do good works, of course, right? God created us for good works before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 2.10. But our goal is not to impress the world with those good works. Our goal is to hear from Jesus Christ on that day, well done, good and faithful servant. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice we need some self-examination. If we are bitterly jealous or selfishly ambitious, it will become known when we use our words to puff ourselves up in our pride. Maybe someone else has a better job, maybe someone has a better position, someone has a better house, someone has a better car. And we want these things in our covetousness. We want these things, not understanding that we need to be content with everything that God has given us because he's a good father and he gives generously to those who love him. But we, maybe we wanna climb the corporate ladder or maybe we wanna have the best title on the church staff, but it doesn't matter. Maybe we feel like we deserve these positions, but it doesn't matter because that is our pride speaking. Boasting about ourselves and our jealousy and ambition is worldly wisdom. How often have we written resumes in which we've had to spin and twist the things that we've done and embellish the things that we've done in order so we're qualified for the job? When I was getting out of the Marines, I had been in the infantry. That is not a very transferable skill to civilian life. I had to go to a class on how to write a resume to embellish the things that you've done in order to make yourself seem like you can play with others in society. (laughs) I had to learn how to lie on a resume. But James says that this type of wisdom is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. This wisdom is from the devil himself. Where where these attitudes exist, where, where selfish ambition exists, where we boast about ourselves and our pride, where we puff ourselves up, there is disorder and every vile practice. Think about uh, social media, yes, jazz. my goodness. Everyone wants to put their perfect life on social media, right? And it makes everybody else feel terrible about their lives. But think about a prideful person bragging to you and you know they're bragging. You rightly write them off. And you're right to do so. Be like, I know this dude's lying. I'm not gonna listen to anything else he says. You're right to do that. You are absolutely right to judge them as not being wise at all. And you know they're not wise. You know they're bragging, you know they're embellishing. We rightly cast off prideful and boastful people because we intrinsically know that the wisdom they claim is not from God. So what's our standard? The next two verses will tell us, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is our standard. This is where we gauge our spiritual maturity when it comes to our speech. The wisdom of God expressed in our speech should be pure and peaceable and gentle and reasonable. It should make sense. It should be full of mercy, full of good fruits, impartial and sincere. Godly speech, Employing godly wisdom with our mouths is in direct contrast to the disorder that comes from worldly wisdom. Because godly speech unifies. Godly speech is honest. Godly speech makes peace among enemies. Godly speech is reasonable. It is merciful. It is compassionate. And ultimately, it speaks the truth. We see Jesus, this is his standard. Jesus not only called out the Pharisees, he spoke truth and said, you can't even preach the truth because you're evil. But he was also compassionate and merciful and he wept over Jerusalem, said how I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. We see both ends of the spectrum in Jesus. We speak the truth in mercy and compassion and love. And so as we leave here, let us be on guard for our speech. We need to watch our mouths. I know our parents have told us that a lot. Watch your mouth. We need to judge ourselves by the words we say. Let us live to the standard of God in everything we do, including the words we say about God, the words we say about the Bible, the words we say about each other. Let us live to that standard. Now this may seem quite burdensome, and I'm not here to put a burden on you, that's legalism. The gospel is in this letter because mercy triumphs over judgment. None of us will be perfect in our speech. All of us will utter ungodliness. But we have a merciful high priest. We have a faithful high priest who forgives us, who goes before God, who intercedes for us daily before the Father. Maybe you have said some of these words to someone and you don't know if you can make it right. You can. You can make it right. In the recovery community, This is all about going to make amends with somebody. You do your part and ask for forgiveness and their forgiveness is on them. Their forgiveness is on them. Maybe you can't take these words back. Maybe the person you spoke them to is no longer here. Cry out before God for forgiveness. He's in the business of forgiving. If you believe in Christ Jesus, his blood already covers you. We just need to know that and realize that even for the ungodly things that we say, his blood covers that. We have a merciful God who wants to forgive you. We need to humble ourselves before God and look to him who gives good gifts and ask for his wisdom. God is gracious. He wants to give these things. James commands us, if you lack wisdom, go to God. Mercy triumphs over over judgment. Seek God, seek his wisdom, read his word, and pray that your speech is glorifying to him. Will you pray with me as we close? Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for your servant, James, who although this letter may seem hard to our American ears, Sometimes this is exactly what we need. The author of Hebrews says, don't regard lightly the discipline of a father. And we get a lot of discipline in this letter, but may we not look at it as legalistic, as a set of rules to follow, but may we look at it as pleasing to you, as this being our offering, as we're offering our words to you, we're offering our bodies to you as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. Thank you for your servant who in his humility identifies himself as a servant and not the half brother of Jesus. Lord, may you humble all of us. It's a scary thing to ask sometimes, but we need to be humble because those who humble themselves, you will exalt. We thank you for your spirit that encourages us and drives us forward as we're being conformed into the image of your son. We thank you for the gathering this morning. There's nothing like worshiping you in the presence of the saints. I thank you for your son. I thank you for his sacrifice. May you be with us through our weeks. In Jesus' name, amen.